Lenjet continues to mix things up. That's our text to nation. I'm Fred Fishkin, and joining us is Blendjet CEO and co-founder Ryan Pamplin. Great to see you again, Ryan. Good to see you, Fred. Hi, everybody. I'm just here with my morning smoothie. This is actually a coffee. I'm cheating. I always start with a coffee, but I do my smoothie later. I've got the carbon fiber Blendjet full of ice, and I'm just going to do a little 20-second cycle here so I can be awake for this. That's enough blending, it's coffee, it's easy. And you know, gotta lock it too, cause you don't want it to splash everywhere. So just hold it down and now it's locked. So I don't have to worry while I'm drinking. Good to go. Excellent. Well, you started out in, in 2017 with the mission of helping people live longer and, and healthier lives. There's a very personal story behind that. Uh, we've talked about it before, an accident and, and your long recovery. And you turned your background in technology into something new with this. Give us the, the, the short version. Sure, yeah, it was, uh, it was tough. So I, I was helping build the holographic computer at Meta and uh, you know, getting to give keynotes alongside people like Bob Iger and Steve Wozniak and getting to spend time with some of my heroes, uh, people like Tim Cook. And it was just so exciting. And then at the peak of all of it, I had a really dumb accident where I was uh, running away from my car as it was parking itself, kind of like this, but not quite this. And it was uh, backing up and I'm running away and I'm kind of turned around and I'm looking backwards and I'm looking like this and I'm running and then bam, concrete pillar in a parking garage. And next thing you know, uh, you know, I'm on the ground and. I think that uh, I slipped in a puddle of oil, but it's my own, you know, blood. So it wasn't good. And then uh, about a year <laughs> of recovery. So in bed for a year, I just met my then girlfriend uh, four months before. We moved in together one month later, upgraded from Beverly Hills to Oakland. I don't know if that's really an upgrade, but, uh, you know, we spent some, some uh, quality time together, fell in love. And then moved in and then a month later hit my head and then I'm literally in bed for a year, can't read, can't use a computer, can't think straight, can't speak correctly, I can't even use a computer, watch TV. It was really devastating and she stuck by my side through the whole thing and, you know, she's my wife now. Um, and she's a co-founder, founding team member, I should say, uh, and she is um, head of our customer experience team and star of many of our videos. So. You know, coming out of, uh, first of all, smoothies and protein shakes every day was like my regimen. You know, I saw many doctors. I finally saw a really great doctor who was a, um, uh, a neurologist. And I'd seen a sports medicine doctor. And, you know, that guy was like, you're not a football player. I see people that hit their head every day. You're fine. And I was like, come on, order me an MRI or a CAT scan. And he wouldn't do it. So then I saw this neurologist finally, and she was great. And she said, you know... I, I, I think we need to get some, some scans. So they did. And sure enough, you know, they said, Oh, you got, you know, severe post-concussive syndrome could be two weeks. It could be two months. It could be two years. Then the, what you got to do is do nothing, do nothing for as long as it takes for you to get better. And you could do therapy, you know, physical therapy, stuff like that. You know, they want you to take antidepressants and do all this stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to do the medicine, you know, uh, I don't need that. I'm going to stay positive and I'm just going to give myself a baseline of nutrition every single day that I know is going to feed my body. So my body can recover. 
So smoothies and protein shakes were a religion for me and coming out of it, actually getting better. I had a lot of gratitude for, you know, getting better. Right. I mean, there was no guarantee. Um, so that was great. And there were definitely hard moments and hard days where I just felt really bad, you know, like, is this, is it, is it over? Like, am I not going to survive this? Um, but I did. And coming out of it, you know, your, your perspective on life is just different. You just feel different about the world. And, you know, I think we all as entrepreneurs at some point in our careers as entrepreneurs probably feel monetarily motivated. Um, maybe not everybody, but I think I, I certainly did. Right. I mean, I created a advertising software company that I got acquired and I'm really proud of the work I did there, but at the same time, I wouldn't do it again. Right. I'm not going to build an advertising company again because it's not like personally fulfilling and it's not solving a problem that's really making the world a better user experience for everyone else. And, and frankly, like coming out of what I went through, that's all I want to do. I just want to figure out how to make things that improve the lives of people. And, you know, if you're making something tangible, you know, this is probably a counterintuitive thing for the CEO of a hardware company to say, but there's a tax on the planet to create physical goods. And, you know, if you want to create something, it better be good because otherwise, if it's just going to end up in a landfill, that's not very nice. You know, it's, it's not a good thing for the world to, it's irresponsible to create things that aren't going to get a lot of use. So the amount of usage and the amount of, of positive impact on life has to be significant enough to outweigh the cost of, you know, the environmental cost. Um, so I think about that a lot, right? I want to create useful things that last people as long as they can. I know people are going to upgrade. There's going to be new versions. There's going to be new features. But, you know, if it becomes part of your daily routine every single day of your life for two years before you upgrade, that's a lot of Jamba Juice cups or Starbucks cups that don't end up thrown away. You know, that's a lot of um, gas or even electricity that probably comes from coal or some other non-clean source that is saved by not having to go commute to get those things. So, you know, I do actually try to calculate and understand, you know, what is the net impact on the planet of the work that we're doing? And I care a lot about that stuff, right? I mean, I'm vegan. I don't care if you guys are vegan, all good. I'm not a preachy vegan you know, but I've been vegan for 12 years. And for me, there's, you know, the personal health aspect, there's the, um, you know, there's the compassion for the animals, and then there's the planet. And like the impact on the planet is, is a very compelling part of it for me. So, you know, that's not just exclusive to my diet, it's sort of the way I see things. Um, but overall, I would say that everything that I do, and everything we do as a company is in service of trying to actually improve the lives of millions of people at this point, I can say millions of people, which is, you know, it's just so crazy to, to have millions of users of your product, especially a hardware product, because hardware is hard as they say. And, um, you know, we've actually, to keep up with demand, we're, we're the number one selling brand of blender direct to consumer, um, you know, top advertiser on Facebook and Instagram reached over a billion people in the last 12 months with our videos. 
And our videos are not just ads. Our videos are, are funny. Our comments are funny. You know, we, we have a real connection with our audience. You know, some of our videos will get tens of thousands of comments. And there's a conversation that happens in those comments between us and, and the customers or people that aren't customers. And it's funny. I mean, we say things that are appropriate, but our humor can be, you know, edgy. And I think that um, brands don't usually interact with customers in that way. And we have a huge team of people that do that. And, you know, I think as a brand, we want to make it fun and we want to make the user experience great, whether you're using our physical product or you're interacting with us in some type of channel. I think we aim to be accessible. You know, someone asked me yesterday, they said, why do you only charge $49 for the blend jet or 59 now for the patterns? You know, why don't you charge $99? Like you could charge more money. And I, and I said, yeah, I know you're right. We could charge more money. But the thing is, I don't care about that. What I care about is accessibility. You know, I want it to be for everyone. Even if, even if you're the kind of person that doesn't have a lot of resources available to you, this actually benefits that person even more. Because if they can save money by skipping fast food every day and making something delicious and nutritious, the net impact to their life is twofold. One, they're going to save money every day by not going and eating fast food. And two, they're going to live longer and save money on their health costs because they're not eating that junk that's going to create problems for them later in life. Well, the, the newest model, the BlendJet 2, Ryan, uh, arrived, I guess, about a year ago. More powerful, really putting the, the power of a plug-in blender in, into your hand to take anywhere. What's happened to the market since the pandemic can, has continued over, over this last year? It's grown. It's been crazy growth. So, you know, we pretty much doubled in size uh, from this time last year. And we've also launched in pretty much every major retail store. Uh, so we're now in Walmart, Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Best Buy, Costco, CVS, Kohl's, Macy's, and 50 other retailers around the world, tens of thousands of doors. That's US, Canada, Europe, Australia, Middle East, South Africa. Um, so I would say that what's happened is the halo effect of our online success and really market dominance online has led to an influx of retailers coming to us. And, you know, when you go to them, the ball is in their court. When they come to you, the ball is in your court. So, you know, if, if a retailer comes to you and says, I want to launch online only with your brand, no, thank you. You know, I very appreciative that you came to us, but, you know, I don't want to sell online because I already sell online. That doesn't help me reach more people. If you really want to help, like understand the mission that we're on and then, you know, help us create a discovery opportunity. And, you know, that means putting it in every store. And, you know, retailers really buy into this. They buy into the mission. They understand. They read the reviews. You know, they see uh, what the reviews say. And, you know, people write things that will make you cry sometimes. You know, we have a woman who um, lost 65 pounds. There's a Blendjet Recipes group with over 80,000 people on Facebook. Uh, and this woman posted uh, about her weight loss journey and losing 65 pounds. And it had a thousand plus likes on the post. I mean, it was an incredibly inspiring sort of post. 
and she uh we ended up getting in touch with her and we made a video with her and we posted that video on facebook and instagram and has tens of millions of views and it's such a source of inspiration for so many other people you know we're not a weight loss product but we can certainly help you on any kind of health journey related to food that you consume you know i i think our theory prior to starting this was the number one problem that we can solve is people make poor choices because healthy food is inconvenient and inconvenient food is unhealthy. And I think that is a big problem. And I think what we've done is flip the script. So we've made convenient food healthy, but it doesn't seem like it. Because if I told you, hey, Fred, do you want to eat healthy? You'd be like, I don't know, you know, that doesn't sound very tasty, right? But the, the marketing is not about health. The marketing is about convenience and it's, it's getting people excited. And, you know, I just met a mom who um, has a baby, a little baby who's seven months old now. And she has been making the baby smoothies, not really smoothies, but baby food, I should say, uh, in the Blendjet. You know, so she'll take the cooked uh, sweet potatoes or broccoli or whatever. She'll take breast milk and she blends it up together and makes baby food for, for her baby. And her baby goes crazy for this. And I actually saw the baby. We actually filmed a video with her a few days ago. It's going to come out in the next week or two. And it's just so cool to see. I never intended that, right? I never thought, oh, we've made a device that moms are going to use for baby food. Um, but I think that's, kind of what's cool is our, our community figures out, oh, I can lose weight with this. Oh, I can feed my baby fresher baby food that doesn't have preservatives that I know is better. And I know what's going into it. I'm putting my organic, you know, vegetables and I'm putting my own milk, which my baby, you know, needs. And then also she is, is getting her nutrients too every day, making sure that she's getting all the right nutrients so that her breast milk is like, you know, the highest quality that it can be for her baby. So it, it's a big part of her life. And you know, I didn't ask her to do this. I, I met her through a friend of a friend uh, and, you know, she had a blend jet. She was super excited about it. And then she kept telling me, you got to make something for babies. You got to make something for babies. And I'm, I'm like, well, tell me more about this. And she's like, I'm using it every day, multiple times a day, you know, and she's explaining to me her use case and, and it was super exciting and compelling. So we had to create a video to share it with people because I'm sure there's other people out there like her, but there's probably a lot of people who, don't realize that they could use it for that. And it probably would help a lot. You know, I, I don't have a, a child yet, but I mean, when I do, I, I certainly want to feed them the best possible ingredients, right? And if I know what's going into their bodies, I would prefer that versus just, you know, something with potentially preservatives that have unknown effects. Ryan, you talked about uh, the change in what you wanted to do with your life uh, following the, the accident and, and your recovery leading to BlendJet and the focus not being as much on, on economic success, although that has, that has taken care of itself. Tell me if you see any correlation with uh, what's going on with the population at large during the pandemic and, and hopefully coming coming out of it that a lot of people have opted not to go back to whatever they were doing before yeah it's true yeah you see all these articles about like you know the great the great quit or like you know all these people sort of leaving what they were doing and 
a lot of people leaving jobs because they have to go back to work and they want to work from home. You know, I think first from our perspective, uh, I'm at home right now. I'm working from home. Uh, I've been working at home since March of 2020. I've been in the office a handful of times. We actually just are building out a new 30,000 square foot uh, headquarters right now. We do all of our own shipping and fulfillment from there. So our operations people go to work every day, uh, fulfillment people um, and our, our, some of our execs that oversee operations. And, you know, those people need to be there and we're grateful that they're there. And I think, you know, we try to create a great environment. So we've, we've been very careful during the pandemic to make sure that people aren't getting sick. So, you know, testing, masks, temperature taking every morning, all these kinds of things. Um, and we've been very fortunate. We haven't had any outbreaks. I'm going to knock on some wood. Um, we're also right next to a testing site, like one block away from us, which is super helpful. But I think, you know, the reality of business has changed. You know, I think you used to be frowned upon if you worked from home. Oh, you're bad. You know, you're, you're lazy. You don't want to go to work. You know, it's not fair. Why do you get to stay home and everyone else has to go to work? You know, you look at what uh, Marissa Meyer did when she, you know, was CEO of Yahoo, right? She had all these people working from home and she just destroyed the work from home program. She was like, no more working from home, come into the office. And what had happened in that case, I know personally, you know, people on both sides of that. And what had happened is Yahoo was very inefficient and people had become complacent. And a lot of people were not doing work. They were just taking advantage of the circumstance. They're doing the minimum amount of work possible to keep their jobs, but you know, not really contributing in the same way as they would have if they were in the office. So, you know, I think that was a failure, not of work from home, but just a failure of an individual company to hold their employees accountable. I think that's the challenge from a company perspective is how do you know if you can't see them, how do you know that people are being accountable? And that really comes down to hiring and building the trust and the relationship, you know, with the person to know that they're going to stay on top of it. But I mean, I know some people have kids, you know, I know that they are, you know, their kids have been home for a year. You just got to cut them some slack, right? And hopefully they're able to find enough time to create enough value to, um, you know, continue to be useful, which in our case, everyone has. Um, but I think that's a real challenge that I empathize with, right? I get, I get it. Like, I mean, what are you supposed to do? If, you know, you can't send your kid to daycare, you, you know, you can't send them to school, you know, they got to be somewhere. So, um, I've definitely heard a lot of nice things about Blendjet being used at lunchtime with kids that are at home during COVID. So that's always a nice sort of, you know, story to hear. I'm glad we could help in some small way. Um, but I think that the habits that people form during this time are permanent. So there's the study in the UK where they shut down the tube uh, for some period of time for construction. And during the time that the tube, the subway uh, is shut down, people are finding a different route to get to work or wherever they're going every day. And the reason they had to do construction was to increase capacity. So then the tube uh, is done, they reopen, and it doesn't increase in capacity or, or usage of the capacity. It doesn't even go back to the usage before the construction. 
And it's like, what gives? We just spent all this money to make the tube bigger and now you guys aren't using it. And what had happened was people found new ways to get where they wanted to go. They formed new habits and then they never reverted back to the old habit. And I think that that's the reality that we're facing with coming out of COVID. It's the reality of how consumers are going to behave. And it's also the reality of the expectations of the workforce. So, you know, if you are a competitive company, not only do you have to offer, you know, a whole bunch of benefits, and if you're in Silicon Valley, you, you better do people's laundry for them. Um, but, you know, you also have to let them work from home. And I think if you don't let them work from home, you are closing off access to a talent pool that is very valuable. So, you know, I've actually hired a ton of people during the pandemic. Um, it's pretty interesting because you hire people sometimes without meeting them in person. You know, you hire them on Zoom. You have three Zoom meetings, you know, you meet them, you meet them with the team, you meet them again, you check references. Um, you know, I think people are much more comfortable on Zoom now than they used to be. So I think you can, you can gauge a person pretty well on Zoom. Um, but it's, it's an interesting new challenge for sure. Uh, in some ways, it's an advantage for employers because you don't have to limit your geography. So your talent pool becomes much larger and your salary that maybe in Silicon Valley isn't the most competitive is actually very competitive in Montana. So, you know, you suddenly have access to a lot of people who have much lower cost of living. And there's a lot of really talented people with not a lot of good options in rural areas of the United States um, that now you can get access to. So I think there's a lot of winners in this. Um, and I think, you know, the real like huge, huge winner of the pandemic is direct to consumer businesses. Um, so, you know, D2C sales and the transition, which I shouldn't, it's called the transition, but I don't know if we should call it that, but the transition of dollars from brick and mortar retail to online is, is accelerated, right? It has moved at a much faster pace than anyone would have expected before. Um, but brick and mortar is not dead and it's never going to die. Maybe very niche mom and pop, smaller retailers may not survive. Um, but the omni-channel strategy is, is how all these big retailers are making it work. You know, you want to order something from Walmart, you go on walmart.com, you order it, you really want it today, you get free same-day delivery, or you order for store pickup and then you do curbside and you go get it delivered to your car, right? Best Buy does it, Target does it, Bed Bath does it, everybody does this. And this is the new, and, and, and the stores are the warehouses. So, you know, the logistics are competitive with Amazon. Amazon has to build these warehouses all over the place. They have to build their own shipping services. Um, they have to build their own planes. They have to do all this crazy stuff to compete with these companies that already have world-class infrastructure. They already have stores. You know, Walmart has over 3,000 stores in the United States. Target has, you know, thousand plus stores all over the U.S., I think 2,000 plus. And 
maybe it's 1500. I don't remember target, but you know, bed bath is over a thousand stores. That's a lot of stores. Like almost everyone is relatively close to one of those stores and those stores all have inventory that they have systems in place to predict the right amount of inventory for each store based on sell-through, historic sell-through. So the system is already in place to have all of the, you know, supply needed for all the demand that exists. And, you know, Amazon can't, they can't keep everything in stock and they also can't have everything. We don't sell on Amazon. I won't sell on Amazon. I think Amazon as a platform is, you know, doing things that I don't, I don't like, right? I have 75 patents filed on my technology over 25 granted, including on the core concept of a portable blender. If there's a product that may infringe on some of my intellectual property, I don't want to be on a marketplace next to it, right? I want to be with retailers who respect my IP and they want the real thing on walmart.com and on the shelf of Walmart and the same thing at Target and Best Buy. So, you know, I think from a brand perspective, like real brands really benefit from working with the major retailers who do things a little bit differently. And, you know, you see all this stuff coming out about Amazon competing with their own customers, using data to then create knockoffs of their own partners' products and then sell them Amazon Basics version. You know, this kind of stuff is, is not good. So retailers love that we don't sell on Amazon. I personally have a problem with it because I don't want to be there. And, and, and at the end of the day, it's not just about not being next to, let's say, wannabes or copycats. It's also about owning the customer relationship. When you buy a Blendjet, you're not just buying a blender, you're buying an experience. And that experience includes recipes that you get for free. We don't charge for it. And frankly, you don't even have to be a customer. You could just get it for free from our YouTube channel or go to our website, go to the recipes section. And if you don't buy a Blendjet and you use uh, our recipes, great. I don't, I don't mind, you know? I want to put stuff out there that helps people. Um, but I think, you know, the email that you get every week with recipe content, it's not, we're not selling anything. It's all free. And that content is such a good reminder for you to have something delicious and nutritious. And the way we interact with you on social media, the way that you see you know, our content on a regular basis, once you become a customer, or frankly, even if you just come to the website, um, that leads to this much deeper experience. And if we were to sell on a marketplace, we would not have that experience, which would be a real bummer. You know, with the retailers, I think, you know, we do sacrifice some of that, but then we get to create these beautiful displays in retail. And, you know, I think, the experience maybe isn't the same as buying direct, but the opportunity for discovery is so big. Um, and you know the the size and scale and volume that retail retail can drive is just crazy. And it's very, very efficient as well. You know, from a cost perspective, you know, retail is very predictable. Online, you know, if if we love Facebook and, and Instagram, you know, from the perspective of, of being advertisers on the platform and, you know, we're super grateful to them, but the costs are, are somewhat unpredictable, you know, 
So one day the cost could go up dramatically and then the next day it can go down dramatically. And there's no necessarily, there, there's no rhyme or reason to this that is visible to you as an advertiser. But with retail, you know, I know I'm going to sell a certain number of units in retail. It's just going to happen because these things are planned way ahead of time. Um, I think the other big challenge that people are facing with, uh, with, with products of any kind, and this is a consumer challenge and also a business challenge, supply chain is, is very tough. How, how um, have you managed to circumvent or, or, or stay alive through all of this? We've built with our partner um, a factory from the ground up before all of this. And we have, we have about 150 people in the factory building blend jets. And then we have two robots and the robots can each produce about 100,000 units per month. And it's, it's like a mini Tesla Gigafactory. It's super amazing. And the robots literally take the individual pieces and put everything together, put the motor in, you know, solder, the batteries in place, like everything that has to happen uh, is all done by these machines now. And humans still, because we need the capacity of the machines plus the humans to keep up with demand, we stockpiled parts um, along the way during the pandemic, knowing that there were going to be shortages. And we built massive amounts of inventory um, prior to the holiday. So we, we have nearly a million blend jets for the holidays ready to go, um, which is an incredible position to be in given what's happening with the supply chain. You know, there's absolutely shortages of various components that we have in our product, but we're not affected by those yet um, because we've planned ahead a lot. And I give a lot of credit to our VP of ops, Brian Zook for having the relationships and the foresight to plan ahead and, and do that. You know, I mean, there's companies much bigger than us who have not made those kinds of plans and are producing even lower numbers of products than we are. Maybe they're more expensive and, and they don't have the parts to make it. You know, you look at one of my favorite companies, Tesla, you know, the, the rate at which they can make cars is being limited by chips and the waiting list for a Model X is like two years two years. You want to spend $150,000 on an SUV. Sorry, you're going to have to wait two years. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty unreal to see the type of consumer demand that we see, but what happened for anybody that doesn't understand, like, this is, this is stupid, right? It is stupid. But what happened is at the beginning of the pandemic, there's these cargo ships and, and these cargo ships take things from every country in the world to the United States and, and every other mar market in the world. And these cargo ships uh, are, are, you know, just enormous sizes of, of like cities on, on the water. And these things carry tens of thousands of containers. Each container is like a truckload, like a semi-truck. And you've probably seen these containers getting unloaded before in, you know, major ports, major cities. And the container ships at the beginning of the pandemic laid everybody off and shut down the ships because they thought that the world would be closed and that 
you know, there would be no demand for, for physical goods. So they stopped all the shipping. They kept a minimal amount going for essential supplies, foods and things like that, but they didn't think consumer good demand would be high. They were wrong. And you know who else was wrong was all the airlines, the shipping companies. Everybody was laying off people in preparation for what they thought was going to be a huge downturn in the economy. And everybody guessed wrong. And then what happened is a lapse in uh, throughput, which led to, at the same time, as an increase in demand, which led to a lag. So demand is here and shipping and supply are here and demand has continued to outpace. And even with getting everything back up, which took a while, there's this gap. And closing this gap is, is incredibly difficult because consumer demand has not waned and they can't build more ships overnight. These ships are, are huge. And of course, you need materials to build ships, which come on ships. So you can see everything in the world is, is delayed. And you know, factories not being able to produce enough chips, guess what they did with the chip factories at the beginning of the pandemic? They shut them all down. They thought we need to throttle our output and we need to dramatically lower our forecasts. And when you lower forecasts at a company that makes chips, that means you buy less silicon. And when you buy less materials that go into your chips and then more demand comes and then you call up your silicon guy and go, hey, uh, I need more of the silicon. They're like, actually, sorry, we stopped mining it because you told us you didn't need it. So we laid off all the miners. So there's this repercussion throughout the entire supply chain where one thing wasn't needed. So everybody else had to like sort of taper down their production. And now for everyone to ramp back up production is, is a real nightmare and a real challenge. And it's going to take another couple of years to fix this. It's not going to be fixed, you know, this year. And, and what you're going to see this holiday season is record demand, the highest demand ever for consumer goods in the history of probably the world. And there's going to be incredible inventory shortages. So you're going to want to buy stuff and it's going to be sold out and it's probably not going to come back in time for you to get it when you want it. Um, so I think, you know, that's going to be a real challenge. And I, I hear from a lot of the the shipping companies, the cargo shipping companies, the rates have gone up for sea shipping literally five to 10x, five to 10 times more expensive. It's sometimes, air shipping is usually five to 10 times more expensive than sea shipping. There are instances right now, which makes no sense. Sea shipping from you know Asia to the US takes like 30 days and sometimes a lot longer due to delays at the ports. That stuff takes uh, a long time. And it's got to clear customs on both sides. And that can add, you know, it could be 45 or 60 days in the worst case scenario. On the air shipping side, it's usually like three days. There are instances now where sea shipping prices are being bid up so high that sea shipping is more expensive than air shipping, which makes no sense. Uh, but this is just the nature of supply and demand. And people don't even think about air shipping as an option because it's too expensive. But we've reached a point where you know, people have like lost touch with, you know, the reality of pricing and they don't realize that, oh my God, the sea shipping is so expensive. It's actually more expensive than the air shipping now. 
which is a crazy thing. But air shipping is also very problematic because most cargo is not transported on the cargo planes. So when you ship stuff with a lot of carriers, like let's say USPS, those packages are typically put in the cargo area of uh, planes that are flying everyday you know, people. They're your American Airlines and your Delta, and they're selling cargo space on their planes to USPS, to FedEx, to UPS, to DHL. So when the number of flights dramatically went down during the pandemic and has continued to be down, but certainly now is better than it was, that reduces the amount of cargo capacity as well. So when you want really fast shipping, there's just not availability because there's no space on a plane to accommodate what you want because there is no plane flying from Orlando, Florida to, you know, Montana. So I think, you know, <laughs> this is, it's a system that just barely worked. And, you know, one thing gets out of whack and the whole thing breaks. And, and that's the situation we're in. And we got to get everything back in sync. And it's not one individual or one authority who can get it all back into sync. It's kind of everyone working harmoniously. Um, and that is, you know, an unpredictable thing. Really great explanation, Ryan. So I imagine maybe this has had an impact on, on your future thinking here. What's next for, for BlendJet to some extent and how fast you want to jump into something new, a, a new version or, or whatever. But I'm sure you've got plenty on the drawing board of things to come. Well, today we're excited to introduce a new BlendJet featuring the M1 Max silicon from Apple. Smoothies <laughs> will never be the same. The graphics of these smoothies, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we have such crazy, exciting opportunities. That's a joke for anybody that took me seriously. Um, but uh, I did order myself an M1 Max uh, MacBook Pro, which I'm very excited about. Uh, and I really do applaud Apple for maintaining supply chain. I mean, they're coming out with a revolutionary new product. You know, you might just say like, oh, it's a laptop, whatever, who cares? It's not a laptop. It is a laptop with a processor that is a brand new processor that beats the pants off of Intel processors in terms of graphics for sure, but also in terms of compute power in a power envelope that is tiny. And this is something they grew at home. They made this from scratch. This is basically the grown up version of the processors they've been putting in iPhones and iPads for years. And, you know, it's really bad for Intel. Like Intel is in a lot of trouble. The CEO of Intel said, that they hope to, um, they, they said they got beat by Apple. He's literally said, not in those exact words, but essentially said, we got beat by Apple and we're gonna work really hard to make a, prod a product as good as the product that they've created. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to supply them in the future alongside their own production. Um, that's a breakthrough in, in technology. It's a win for consumers. And I think that, you know, Apple is really pushing the envelope in terms of compute power and processing. So for creative types like me, um, I'm so excited to have the power to edit 8K video, you know, on my laptop really nicely and color correct. And I mean, we, I still get involved in video production. You know, we shot five videos in the last week 
our, uh, you know, filmmaker in residence and my wife and I, and, and a couple of different groups of people. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it puts a toll on you, but the editing process and the color correction, I have a lot of fun with all that stuff. And, you know, we have a drone and we shoot drone footage and, you know, we, we do all kinds of really cool stuff that, um, you know, a breakthrough in processing dramatically speeds up my workflow and time is my most valuable resource. And I, I don't have enough. I already work 25 hours a day, eight days a week. And, uh, you know, a faster processor actually gives me back a little bit of my time. You know, it sounds silly, but it's true. Uh, and I think there's a lot of creative professionals who are really going to benefit from this. But aside from me being an Apple fanboy and telling you how great Apple's new chips are, which are not in new Blendjets, um, we do have two really exciting collaborations that are on the horizon. One is with one of the most nostalgic brands with millennial women. Uh, I can't say who it is exactly yet, but that there's three units we're doing with them. It's going to start shipping later this year uh, in large quantities in early Q1. And that design is incredible. It's, it's a special edition and it's beautiful. And I think people are going to go crazy uh, for it. And I think we're going to have a hard time keeping it in stock. We're going to create some supply chain challenges for ourselves. And we have a second collaboration, which is a much larger scope. There's 15 special editions that are made right now with this, uh, with this brand, which is one of the most iconic brands of all time. And they came to us and, and said, hey, would you like to do something together with us? And, you know, it was one of those like pinch me kind of moments where you're just like, you're asking me if I want to work with you. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. Um, so that's coming out uh, early next year. And I think, you know, without giving away what it is, I, I can't announce it yet. I would love to, but it is, it is a brand that is just one of the most well-respected brands in the world. And, you know, people love their stuff and find it highly collectible. So I think you're going to see a lot of scenarios where, you know, you see these, um, these, these little, gosh, what are they called? The little pop, uh, the little collectible statues. They're not statues, but they're little right. figures. Sure. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Funko, Funko Pops. Uh, you know, people collect these like Funko Pops, uh, which are these little things. And they've like just gone crazy during the pandemic. And that's kind of what... Uh, that's kind of what I think is going to happen. We're already seeing this actually, which is a, an unexpected trend. We're seeing people, especially with the patterns, we have nine patterns now, and that actually represents a third of our business. Uh, so that just like took over and, you know, the patterns like the one I'm showing you here, carbon fiber, we've got leopard, we've got walnut, we've got three different camos, we've got two different, um, marbles and we've got a geode, which is super popular. Everyone loves this. This is the bestseller. Um, it's, you know, kind of a crazy pattern. Um, but, you know, people are collecting these and, and people are trying to get all of them and there's like 25 of them. So this is unexpected, but there's literally threads online that you can find on the recipes group where people are like, I have five, I have 10, I have all the patterns. And I think when you see some of these collaborations come out, it's just going to like take that collectability to another level. 
it's not something we intended, but you know, if you're going to collect something, uh, you know, hey, why not? Why not collect the Blendjet and you know get some use out of them and, and do something cool with them uh, as well. But um, I think we're very focused on on those you know collaborations that enhance the sort of personality of the product and and make you feel a deeper affinity and personal connection to the product. And I think the net effect is it will lead to a higher amount of usage of the product, which I think, and, and really that's driven by leaving things on display. Like if you leave your Blendjet out and you see it, it is a visual cue. Whether you realize it or not, it's reminding you to have something delicious and nutritious. And that's kind of the magic of why I think the brand has been so much more successful than traditional blenders. You know, a typical blender is used less than three times per month. A Blendjet on average is used more than one time per day. That's crazy. You know, why is the usage so dramatically better? It's very easy. It's convenient. It cleans itself. You know, it's personal size. You don't make too much. It just takes 20 seconds. So all of these things are going for it, but I don't think that's enough. I think the thing that pushes it over the edge is the design, the color, the personality, and then wanting to leave it on display and then it becoming this reminder. The sleeve is also very popular. So I will, I will drop some news for you that no one knows, which is that we're about to uh, come out with a new sleeve, uh, which is royal blue. So that's exciting. Uh, that's a very popular color that people have been asking for. So now there'll be four choices on that. And it's, it's a nice product because, uh, you know, you can take it anywhere and not worry about having it, if you drop it or bang it around or throw it in your bag and stuff hits it, it doesn't matter. It also is insulated, so it keeps things cold, which is really nice. And there's actually uh, some other accessories that are coming out uh, that expand the usefulness of your existing Blendjet. So those are coming out in Q1. Um, you know, there's a couple jars coming out that expand the usefulness, different sizes. And there's uh, a few other accessories as well that I think make the product even more convenient and useful. I think everything we do is, is guided by that, right? Are we making the product more convenient? Are we making it more useful? Uh, if, if so, then it's probably something that we would create. Um, and I think it's gonna be the biggest Q4 that we've ever seen. You know, We've got an enormous amount of inventory ready to go. Um, you know, I think people are going to be really happy with us in Q4 because we have, you know, an enormous operation for fulfillment and manufacturing that I think will probably keep up with demand, you know, maybe I'll be surprised and, and will you know, not be able to keep up with, uh, the demand. Maybe it'll outpace our wildest expectations, but we built in a pretty nice buffer to try to accommodate everyone. Um, you know, I, accessibility is, is about price, but it's also about availability too, right? So I would be going against my own sort of um, ethos if I didn't prepare for this, uh, this Q4. So I think people will be very happy about that. I think it'll probably sell out in retail very quickly and then our retailer partners will, you know, want more and we'll ship them as much as we can, but we'll certainly keep everything on blendjet.com and keep that fast shipping. And we've also launched uh, something else that's pretty cool. So it's Blendjet Marketplace. So it's blendjet.com slash marketplace, or you can just click on marketplace and you can find our jetpack ready to blend smoothies there. But you can also find 
products from a ton of other brands. So yeah, you've expanded your partnerships with uh, with companies that make things that that work well with the Blendjet. Indeed, yeah, I, I call it a curated collection of the very best blendable ingredients. So we've got our jet packs, but then we've also look. If you want to blend jet packs, great. Jet packs are awesome. Ready to blend smoothies. They're real fruit made in California. Just had water or milk. I would recommend milk of some kind. I like oat milk. Um, but I would I would say that we we know that people are going to blend other things in a blend jet, and I want you to blend other things. I don't I don't need you to blend a jet pack. That's a great thing to use. You know, have a routine where you use one every day use one when you're out, whatever you want. But at the end of the day, I'm not trying to be everything to everyone. And I don't want to create a tub of protein powder. I don't want to create, you know, a meal replacement. These there's already best in class solutions for these. And what we did is we surveyed our customers and we said, what do you use the most in your blend jet? And then we went to all those brands and created partnerships with them to be able to offer those products to our customers at a competitive price. So what you've got is you've got protein powder for more gain, You've got 22 Days Nutrition, which is Beyonce's brand. You've got Soylent, which is very popular with the Silicon Valley group. Uh, you've got 310 Nutrition, which is a meal replacement shake that's very popular with, uh, with women. You've got Pattaya Foods, uh, frozen fruit. So you've got all kinds of really cool stuff like dragon fruit and passion fruit and watermelon and jackfruit, avocado, stuff that is ready to just throw into the blender and it actually comes frozen. So literally it's shipped on dry ice, which is crazy. There's also PB2 peanut butter, which is a peanut butter powder, which is amazing. There's a Tenzo matcha. And there's this stuff that is so popular called unicorn superfoods. It comes from these two uh, wonderful women in Australia who are sisters. And they've created this line of these blends that are just ridiculously delicious and tasty and super colorful. Uh, the flavors are really well done and they've formulated and created all this stuff themselves and make it all in Australia. It's great. And, you know, we actually keep it here and stock it in the U S and, you know, that's been a very popular seller. Um, so it's, it's cool that we're able to partner with some of these brands that make incredible products that are already very popular and we can provide something that you know is good because we vetted it. And then there's also products that are not as popular, but we know are extraordinary. And we're sort of introducing those to the community. And those are just, you know, skyrocketing sales for those companies. So it's, it's really cool to have this opportunity. And I will say there's a lot of partners that come to us that want to do stuff that we just, you know, we try the products and, you know, we just very graciously say, we don't know if our customer base would, would buy this on a large scale. And, you know, by saying no to certain partners, because it doesn't meet our criteria for appeal, um, primarily because of taste or nutrition, uh, or maybe cost, um, by doing that, there's a guarantee from us that anything you buy in marketplace is going to be delicious and you're going to love it. And if you don't, then we'll eat it and you can have your money back. So, you know, I can't guarantee that you're going to love it unless we make sure that everything on there, you're really going to love. Um, if it's on your side, think, your reputation's on the line. So you're, you're picky. 
Exactly. And, and there's, uh, there's six more partners coming uh, for Marketplace in the next, you know, 30 to 90 days. Um, and then we also have a, a new line of jetpacks that are coming out. That's a totally new category. Uh, you know, I, I probably shouldn't say exactly what it is, but it might have something to do with what I'm drinking here. So, uh, you know, you can probably figure it out, but there's six of those coming out and oh, they're so good. So we're, we're really excited for that. And I think people are going to be drinking those on a very regular basis. Um, so I think, you know, what we're trying to do is uh, help our customers find the very best ingredients to put in their blend jets. And we do that through Marketplace. We do that through Jetpack. And now um, we do that through recipes. And, you know, we don't we don't just do recipes that feature ingredients that we sell. We do sometimes, but, you know, we will feature something that you can just go and buy at your local store. Um, you know, I, I think the key about BlendJet is we don't try to make things proprietary. You know, I, I love like open source software. I'm a big fan of it. Um, and I think the best open source software is the kind of software that's created by companies that invest lots of resources into that software and then are, gracious enough to give away the code and they know that the community is going to help to make it better. And I kind of think that that's what we do when it comes to ingredients, right? I'm not saying you can only use our pods and that's it, right? No, use whatever you want. We're going to make stuff that you can put in there that's really convenient and delicious and very cost effective. But at the same time, if you want to use ingredients from other companies, great, we're going to sell some of those best ingredients. And if you don't like any of those and you have a different preference, no problem, use those. Um, you know, and we want to learn from our community what they love and we want to, you know, give them some benefit. You know, if you subscribe to any of these ingredients, then you're going to get a discount that you can't get anywhere else. So, you know, there's this sort of benefit and there's this all-in-one shopping experience too, where we make it a lot more convenient. And a lot of these things are hard to find, especially during the pandemic because of supply chain. You know, how many times you go to a retail store and try to buy something and then it's not there. You know, this happens to me all the time with oat milk. I love oat milk. I love Oatly oat milk. And it is always sold out. And I will tell you, we are launching Oatly on Blendjet, which I'm so excited about. So you're going to be able to buy Oatly oat milk, which it's really for me <laughs> because I just <laughs> need it. And I often can't buy it. And, you know, uh, to be able to get, in my opinion, the best oat milk and just get it on demand, on a subscription, like I know for sure I'm consuming at least two to three cartons of Oatly per week. It's going to happen. It goes in my smoothies. It goes in my coffees. You know, I have to have it. And when I run out of it and I have to use a different brand, the flavor is not good. It's just not the same flavor. There are a few other brands that are good backups, but that one just, hmm, you know, it just has that perfect taste. And, you know, maybe for some people it's not their favorite, but for me, the Oatly original is where it's at. And I think, you know, of everything that we've tasted, I think it's the thing that's most delicious to our customers on average. And our customers have voted and said that they enjoy the flavor of that more than other uh, types of milk. So having that best in class flavor and being able to introduce that to people who maybe haven't tried it yet is, is a really cool opportunity um, for Oatly and for us. So, you know, I'm super excited uh, about these kinds of partnerships because 
it's just a win, win, win. The other brand wins, we win, the consumer wins. And as long as we continue to be super selective about the brands that end up on the marketplace, then I think, you know, it's an exciting, uh, exciting thing for all involved. And the sky's the limit. Uh, or maybe it's not. You sent you sent one of these into space. <laughs> you have it's the true. video online. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, we really did that. People uh, think that that's a joke or they think that it's fake. Uh, I can tell you that the CGI to do that would have been more expensive than doing it for real. Um, you know, there's a company called Sent Into Space in Europe that primarily has sent um, scientific instruments into space. And we... I had been researching for years how to send stuff into space. I mean, who's not fascinated by space? Uh, so I wanted to send a blend jet into space. I had been planning this for a long time. I told my team that I wanted to send a blend jet into space and they said, yeah, that's not possible. You can't do that. And I said, okay, all right. Thank you for motivating me. I appreciate your, your confidence. Uh, lack thereof, really. And I started looking into it. And I said, you know, let's see if we can do this, right? And I started looking into like colleges that were, you know, really well-funded schools, like the MITs of the world. And I started looking at, you know, do they have, you know, rockets, like amateur rockets that they're building that maybe cost tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars that could reach space that I could put a blanket on? And no, not really. They don't. Some of them might, but I emailed a bunch of them and none of them responded. So that wasn't a good, um, they probably thought I was crazy, right? They're like, why is this guy trying to send a blender to space? And then I found this company sent into space and, you know, I saw that they did these, you know, scientific instruments and I reached out and I said, Hey, I'd love to send a blender to space. And they were like, that's great. Cause we want to work with companies to send products into space, you know, for promotional purposes. And you could be one of the first. And I was like, yes, yes, I found them. So we, we worked on a great deal um, for both parties. And, um, you know, it's, it's not free, but it's, um, it's not, you know, millions of dollars. So uh, it, it's not, you know, for me, space is, is such an extraordinary thing, right? It just seems unattainable. And it seems magical and very few things as an adult really feel like magic. And I think I love magic. I love actual like abracadabra magic, you know, Shin Lim, you know, David Copperfield, you know, I grew up like loving David Copperfield. I got to meet him when I was a kid and I just literally, when I met him, I was seven years old and I was obsessed with him and with magic. And I just literally went, the entire time, just my mouth was just hanging open. And I think that's my fascination with technology and, and with space is that it's like the only real magic, you know, because technology makes impossible things possible. You know, I mean, if, if you didn't understand Zoom, you would think, you know, if you came from like, you know, 1900 and you're looking at this, you'd be like, he's a witch burn him at the stake, you know, cause like you're teleporting into my, into my office and I'm teleporting into yours. Um, so I think, you know, space has that, that, that magic about it. And to be able to do something that is seemingly impossible, it, it's very rewarding and fun. And it also shows off the durability of the, of the project. And it's also just fun. 
You know, how do we make a blender more appealing to men? Our audience used to be 75% women and now it's 60% women. So we went from 25% men to 40% men. Why? Well, I think, you know, we've done a lot in our marketing to appeal more to the male demographic. In the product, we made it more powerful, five times more powerful, more capacity, all these things. So, you know, that helps. But in the marketing, you know, space is, is a fascinating thing for a lot of people. It tends to skew a little bit more male. And I think that, you know, we've attracted a lot of attention from the male demographic and it's driven a lot of sales and a lot of affinity with that demographic. Um, so, you know, it was an incredible achievement. I think my team was very surprised. Uh, the video has tens of millions of views on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, it's done all right on YouTube as well. Um, and I think at the end of the day, the net result of sending a blender to space is that more people have bought a blend jet. And as a result of more people buying a blend jet, more people are, are making healthier eating decisions on a daily basis. And we've increased the longevity of, you know, a ton of people as a result. So, you know, some people might look at sending a blender to space and be like, that's stupid and wasteful. And like, why would you do that? Well, it's fun, first of all. And if you say that, then you probably aren't a very fun person. Uh, but I think the net effect of it is that we have reached this new demographic and then we've positively influenced their life in terms of, you know, what, um, you know, what they eat. And, you know, I think when you create a piece of hardware, the thing is getting people to use it is actually harder than making the hardware. And to create a product that has product market fit is the most challenging thing that you can ever do as an entrepreneur. And it's, it's so much easier to make a piece of software that you only have to sell, you know, one time to a company and then everyone uses it, right? It's like, it doesn't matter if everyone likes it, they have to use it, their company bought it for them. Um, you know, when you're selling, and you don't have to sell it that many times because it, it's usually pretty expensive. When you're selling something for 50 bucks, the expectations of a consumer who's spending $50 are much higher than the expectations of someone buying a piece of software for $50,000. That sounds wrong, but it's, it's true. Like consumers have been trained to have crazy high expectations in terms of brands, products. And then, you know, for you as a brand to create something that meets or exceeds those expectations and then actually get that person to form a habit around that product you know, I don't know in my lifetime that I'll ever be able to achieve the level of product market fit that we've achieved with this product. And, and that's okay. You know, I'm very fulfilled and happy with what we've done. And we have a really strong roadmap for the future. You know, there's so much technology. I eat, sleep and breathe this stuff. All I think about is, is Blendjet and smoothies and protein shakes and you know, mixed drinks and all these things that people make in and baby food. And I think that, you know, what we've got planned on the roadmap for the future, it's going to be mind blowing. You know, of course we have a Blendjet one and now a Blendjet two, you can imagine there will be a Blendjet three. It's not coming this year. It's 
not coming, you know, soon. It's not going to make your blend jet two ops a week. Don't worry. But when it does come, we're working on it. You know, we've got prototypes. We spend years working on this stuff. And when you see the kind of innovation that's in the next generation, you're going to be like, what? What? How did they do that? It's going to feel like magic because there's things we've thought of that I guarantee you, you've never even considered and you wouldn't even imagine to be possible. And they're going to feel like magic. And I think that every generation, you know, we've got a roadmap for the next decade and the next decade is going to have some stuff come out that you're going to feel like is just not possible. And we're going to do it at price points that are super accessible. And I think, you know, the way you plan for product innovation is you, you have to know what's coming around the corner in terms of what is just barely possible with technology. And, you know, a prototype that might cost thousands of dollars to build today, you have to figure out how to make it cost, you know, under a hundred dollars. And that's really challenging. And that's what you spend a lot of your time doing with R&D is, you know, you, you, you sort of try to build something with, with like no limits. And then you're like, great, it's amazing. Now, how do we make it not cost $2,000? Because no one's going to pay $2,000 for a portable blender. I mean, maybe they would, but that's not what I want. I don't want to sell a thousand at $2,000. I want to sell, you know, 10 million at $60. So um, that's what we're working on. And I think, you know, what I can promise you and everyone is that we are never going to stop coming up with ways to dramatically improve the usefulness of the product in service of helping you improve, you know, the quality of what you eat. And hopefully whether you intend for it to be the case or not, it improves your health, it improves your quality of life, it improves your longevity. And, you know, um, hopefully it, it really becomes part of your daily routine and, and changes your habits for the better. And if you have kids, hopefully, you know, it sets a great example for your kids. And, and what I've seen with kids is they get really excited about the Blunjet and they want to hit the button. That's the thing. The kids are always like, let me hit the button, mom, let me hit the button. Uh, and that's great. Cause like, I don't think that there's been a time in history before where kids have been super excited about healthy food, you know? So the fact that we can be part of that is, uh, is a real privilege. We really appreciate you taking us along on your journey here. The, the whirlwind journey, as we like to say, because that's what Blendjet does. Very exciting. Looking forward to what's to come. Ryan Pamplin, thanks for taking the time with us. Thanks, Fred. Now this. It takes a lot of listening to build a better radio, and that's just what the folks at Sea Crane have done. Bob Crane and his crew, nestled among the rivers and tallest trees in the world in Fortuna, California, have made a habit of listening to their customers, and that's just what they've done in building the CC Skywave SSB, the Swiss Army knife of portable radios. For everyday listening to AM or FM in the yard or patio or on the nightstand, Without having to drain a mobile phone battery, it's a great companion. But it is also a companion equipped for NOAA weather information and alerts that can be life-saving. 
You can listen to FEMA and Coast Guard transmissions, too. Beyond all of that, you can tune into shortwave signals from around the world. It's compact, easy to take with you, and built to last. The CC SkyWave SSB. Click on the link at textonation.com.